1: Is your fake president trying to fit in that's from the uh mlk memorial service earlier this week but he he has said that he grew up in black churches it certainly doesn't look like it from that clip i was telling sam before the show that in a lot of ways that's kind of how he fits into the democratic party at the moment he's just standing there awkwardly looking on and not really having a clue as to how to fit in. They have, as I've said, Barack Obama has thrown him under the bus. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show at our website. That's thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can watch the show every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. So he has tried to fit into every group. I think he campaigned to one black journalist and said, if you, don't, uh, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. So he knows, he fits in. He fits in with the Puerto Ricans. He grew up with the uh, Puerto Rican influence. He said he had cancer at one point. I mean, he can fit right in with any group. You see just how much phoniness and deception there is. So many lies. And yet there are some signs, I think my father mentioned uh, almost a year ago now, that the tide is beginning to turn for these radicals, these, these communist radicals that are in power. The uh, prime minister in New Zealand, I guess she's been in that position now for uh, five, m- five years, I believe it is. She's, in, she's only in her early 40s, and she announces yesterday, this is a bombshell announcement, really, a, a pretty big blow to the radical left. This lockdown queen, this vaccine queen, really a dictator, a tyrant. And, of course, we don't know all the reasons why she, uh, she's stepping down. But here's what she had to say. This is from her statement yesterday, clip two.
0: And so today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking re-election. And that my term as prime minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. I am leaving Because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. I know there will be much discussion in the aftermath of this decision as to what the so-called real reason was. I can tell you that what I'm sharing today is it. The only interesting angle that you will find is that after going on six years of some big challenges, I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can, and then it's time. And for me, it's time. Beyond that, I have no plan, no next steps, all I know is that whatever I do, I will try and find ways to keep working for New Zealand. Uh, and as much as I have taken great joy in this job, I would be giving a disservice to this country and to the Labor Party if I continued knowing that I just don't have enough in the tank for another four years.
1: Kind of strange, really, when she's 42. I think she did, though, just give birth, if I'm not mistaken, And maybe she is struggling with some health trials. Who knows? But uh, she's really the darling of the communist left. I forget. I I have it here in my notes in in just a second. But she's kind of like uh, that part of the world's Barack Obama in many ways. The prime minister of New Zealand. It says here, this is conservative treehouse, Ardern's extreme COVID-19 dictates and fiats to include isolation quarantine camps severe regimented social lockdowns forced and mandatory vaccinations and subsequent passports made her the visible face of government COVID-19 extremes she has been celebrated by the radical left I mean it was kind of like uh, uh, Cuomo before his fall here in the United States I mean he was the vaccine king the lockdown king He's no longer in office. Now she's leaving in just a couple weeks, evidently. It says here, keeping with her apt description as a smiley-faced fascist, she did not care about the backlash from her totalitarian dictates and fiats. The government owned the media. And the concerns of Kiwis about the government extremes were dispatched without regard. It says struggling to come to grips with the looming defeat she would likely face. She was running way behind in the polls. And emotional Jacinda Ardern made her resignation announcement to the media. So she exits uh, as early as February 7th. Maybe earlier. Uh, we'll see. This, as I say, it does represent a pretty significant blow, too. The radical left listened to Sky News in Australia, their reaction to her, uh, her surprise announcement, clip five.
0: Bombshell news from New Zealand, the fall of the poster child of the international left, loved overseas, but now on the nose at home and behind on the polls. But be clear, Ardern's resignation marks
1: a failure of woke politics. Now, whether it will be reported that
0: way is irrelevant. As we now see, However things are made to seem, though, the reality will come out. A
1: failure of woke politics, he says there. This is from uh, the New Statesman. It says, when COVID-19 pandemic struck in early 2020, Ardern was initially praised for her approach, swiftly locking down the country's borders and introducing mask and vaccine mandates. It says, but as the pandemic dragged on, she became a lightning rod for criticism. It says, though the measures kept New Zealand's death count relatively low, I think that's debatable, uh, the economy was hit hard and Ardern's widespread support began to shrink. It says, in September 2022, Ardern's government abandoned the majority of COVID restrictions. You do wonder if these many dictators, some of them anyway, are going to begin to fall by the wayside or maybe step away without facing any kind of justice for what they've done. As we start to get all of these studies coming in, whether it's for vaccine side effects or the effects of the lockdowns, we've taken you through so many of these articles in previous programs, but people now see what the trumpet was saying in the summer of 2020. The cure is going to kill us. The cure is going to be worse than the disease. How many times did we say that? Early on, these unprecedented measures. And now there's many, this article goes on and says there have been some New Zealanders that have tried to run her car off the road twice. They're so fed up with the policies of these dictators So she didn't allude to many reasons yesterday. She just said she's kind of out of, there's no more gas in the tank. Okay, in any event, the tide is beginning to turn, as my father said several months ago. This is from Sky News Australia. New Zealand's Prime Minister uh, Jacinda Ardern and her labor government are ending the year on a bad note as their popularity drops to record lows. This is actually from December. It's just commenting on her approval ratings. They were plummeting. It says, making her worst approval rating since coming into office in 2017. So they probably don't have the cheating machine set up like they do in Philadelphia and Atlanta and Phoenix here in the United States. And, and maybe she saw the writing on the wall. It says, the polling, uh, the polling is a reflection of growing frustrations over high cost of living, rising interest rates, and concerns about a crime surge. So the nation, in other words, is falling apart. Even, even as these dictators come in with all of these heavy-handed policies and say, this is it, this is the solution. And look at what's, ha- look at what's happening in the United States just two years into this fake administration. So much fakery and, and so much fraudulent behavior and, and yet so much damaging policies as well. Coming back to these, these vaccines and their deadly side effects, Albert Bourla, he's the CEO of Pfizer. He's he's over in Davos as well. They're all there. You got Chris Ray. You've got uh, Tony Blair, the former UK Prime Minister. He's there saying we've got to move to digital. I mean, especially in this vaccine age. I mean, and she she was the queen of vaccine passports. Ardern. So he's over. Borla, he's the CEO of Pfizer, and he's walking from, I guess, one engagement to the next in Davos. And listen to these two journalists. This, this is how journalism used to work, where the journalists would hold these, these individuals
0: responsible
1: and, and, ask, and ask probing questions listen to this clip one
0: did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission how long did you know that without saying it publicly thank you very much are you worried about product liability are you worried about myocarditis what about the sudden deaths what do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day how much money have you personally made off the vaccine How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media so you don't know how to answer any questions? Is that it? Please, on. Shame on you, sir. Shame on you.
1: That's, uh, that's how journalism used to work. It's not like that today, with a few rare exceptions. This is from Rebel News. Good for them. How, how much have you personally made from this venture? How much longer before he steps down? He's been out there talking, on the one hand, talking about how great the vaccine is, and then in the very same conversations, how much the shares are going up, how much profits are coming in for the shareholders. These people are being exposed. And as I say, good for these two, asking some, uh, some difficult... He didn't have any answers, you'll notice. He, didn't, he has not one concern about myocarditis or the sudden death syndrome that we're seeing now play out all over the place? Not one concern. He's just there to talk about vaccines and how wonderful they are. This is from Alex Berenson at Substack. He says, there is just no easy way to say this. The recent UK and Euro, uh, Euro uh, death figures are frightening in the last few weeks Deaths have surged to higher than any point since early 2021. It's, it's, it's skyrocketing right now, just in the last few weeks. We're coming into 2023, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. It says, and those numbers are much worse than, than they seem. They follow a year of high excess non-COVID deaths, not to mention earlier, covid waves in 2020 and 21 which mostly targeted the very old and sick and should mean that deaths now are lower than normal i mean if covid wipes out a lot of the older population then what does that mean just just think about it logically if you get through this pandemic a lot of the older people died because of it then the death rate should go lower right says here the weather can't be blamed in fact this winter has been very warm in Europe that's why they're all in Davos talking about how the we need all of these green new deals because the earth is getting warmer can't blame it on weather you can't blame it on a hard winter why are so many people dying of non-covid related issues it's a good question they tried to ask the CEO of Pfizer he's got no response He's got no answer. Berenson says, I take no pleasure in writing any of this, none, with the exception of my immediate family. Almost everyone I know has had the mRNAs vaccine, but it is time to stop pretending that the obvious explanation is not the obvious explanation and start looking for underlying mechanisms. He says, we already know these shots are causing long-term immune system changes in a way no one predicted What we don't know is what those changes may mean. We need to find out instead of pretending they're not happening. So he's like a few others just calling for, look, set it aside for now until we can know more. Because we're talking about human lives. In, in, In a lot of cases, young people. Look at this montage. This is, these are, these are these sudden deaths or collapses that are happening just in the last few weeks. I mean, we could have made this montage 30 or 40 minutes if you go back over the last year. This is just from the last few weeks, clip seven. DeMar Hamlin suffered
0: a cardiac arrest. Your eyes on number three, right side of your screen. That's emo ISIAN, sophomore guard stops then slowly goes down to the ground players from both teams visibly upset after watching
1: a 16 year old died at desert oasis high school this happened yesterday clark county school district says the student suffered a medical issue while playing sports
0: <laughs> sorry airman i'm <laughs> i'm not feeling very well right now and i'm about to s- Okay, we'll come back to me right now and we'll make sure that, Jessica, you are doing okay. Thank you. MMA fighter Victoria Lee has died. She was 18 years old. She came here just to shoot some hoops and collapsed here on the court just under the rim. A body being found here, and there were many attempts to revive her, but we were told that those were all unsuccessful. And when EMS arrived on the scene, they confirmed no signs of life. Hunter Brown suffered a medical emergency on his way to class on Monday. The entire U.S. Air Force Academy mourns his loss. Superintendent said that Blaze Jacobs died after suffering cardiac arrest. Blaze Jacobs here was just a junior at Western Brown High School in Mount. Oreb suffered cardiac arrest Monday, taken to Children's Hospital where he later died. Former American Idol contestant CJ Harris has died at the age of 31 and his cause of death has not been determined.
1: We have a vaccine that unequivocally is highly effective and safe and has saved literally millions of lives. So what's the problem with vaccines? I mean, vaccines are life-saving. There's Fauci, of course. He's probably at Davos as well. He's going to be worshipped. Borla, he's going to be worshipped. At least among the radical, left, the radical left elites. Berenson says here, if deaths go back to normal in a few weeks, great. We still need to do this research and lots of other work that we skipped in 2020. We skipped it. We just rushed it out. Donald Trump, I mean, Donald Trump needs to answer for this, too. He's the one that just stepped aside and let Fauci take over, basically. It says here, but at this point, the media and government silence around these numbers is only going to feed conspiracy theories. See, they ask the questions. They ask the, the probing questions. Two journalists with some bit of courage. And yet, Borla has nothing to say. You just blot it out. That's not even part of the conversation. They're not going to be talking about vaccine side effects at Davos. They want control. They want the money. They want the power. They want to control the conversation. They want to control the speech. In so many ways, they want to control your body. Here's here's Tony Blair talking about the, the, the digital IDs that we now need. It's the wave of the future. This is from Reason, the magazine. The Facebook files, you know about the Twitter files. These are emails that have been made known because of a lawsuit going on in Missouri and Reason Magazine, one of the few to cover it because everyone else, just like with the Twitter files, they don't discuss it. Well, to do it, you'd have to talk about a rigged election. Can't do that. To do it, you'd have to talk about government authoritarianism. Can't do that. To do it, you'd have to admit that, well, we in the media, we got it wrong. They can't admit they're wrong. I went through those five points yesterday from Margot Cleveland's piece. This is about Facebook. It says the Facebook files were obtained as a result of the state of Missouri's lawsuit against the Biden administration. They reveal that the CDC had substantial influence over what users were allowed to discuss on Meta's platforms, Facebook and Instagram. So the CDC, you know, the same, the same organization that's got the, the VARES page on its website keeping track of all of these side effects, all of these vaccine injuries, all of these vaccine-related deaths even, and yet the CDC buries that. They, they only produce it because they have to. They bury it far down, deep, deep, deep down into its website, into its database. And then at the same time, They're uh, controlling what you're able to say or print on Facebook and Instagram. It says here, it's important to consider the ramifications. Meta gave the CDC de facto power to police COVID-19 misinformation on the platforms. The CDC took the position that essentially any erroneous claim could contribute to vaccine hesitancy and cause social harm. You can't be vaccine hesitant. You just got to do it. You can't question it. You just take the jab says, this was a recipe for a vast silencing across Facebook and Instagram at the federal government's implicit behest. It says, meta-frequently gave the CDC lists of pandemic-related topics that had gone viral, seeking guidance on how to handle them. (laughs) Big government, big pharma, big tech, big media, and on and on it goes. There are signs that the tide is shifting. But look at the level of control these people have had on practically every significant sector of society. Tucker Carlson the other night, he was talking about, I guess, changing standards at the FAA for what they now allow allow, as far as pilots are concerned. Listen to this clip, clip six. One of the reasons that commercial air travel is so safe in this country is that the FAA has stringent guidelines for the health of pilots. And that's, of course, important. You don't want your pilot dying with a plane load full of passengers. And yet here's something pretty amazing that happened without much notice at all. Without any explanation publicly, the FAA
0: just made a major change in the health requirements for pilots with heart damage. The FAA has significantly broadened the acceptable EKG range
1: for commercial pilots. Steve Kirsch reported this on his Substack. Now, the change now allows people with injured hearts, cardiac injury, to fly. Now, the FAA made this change last October, just after the vaccines were rolled out and made mandatory. Why? Here again, we're left to connect the dots because there's so many government agencies that won't give answers. They just quietly come along like Tucker brings out here and say that, okay, now it used to be the standard was this, but now we're going to go ahead and allow uh, pilots to fly who have heart damage. Why the increasing number of people with heart damage for one? And then why would the FAA allow this all of a sudden? Well, it all gets back to the vaccine and these side effects. That's our view here on this show. And we'll say it. There should be more saying it or at least asking about it or or at least getting answers to questions like those rebel news reporters were asking. All of these cases of myocarditis, heart, heart damage related to the vaccine and now the FAA, I mean, we don't want a shortage of pilots so we'll go ahead and loosen the standards a bit and let pilots fly planes that are suffering from heart damage. Yesterday on the show, we played a clip. It was in that uh, Davos montage. The guy, I don't know who it was, but he talked about if just a billion people would give up meat, would stop eating food, food like, like beef, we could save the world. These people really believe this. They really believe it. Dr. Mercola, my, one of our uh, news gatherers, pointed this out to me this morning. My wife actually told me a little bit about it uh, the other day. She gets emails from Dr. McCullough, and he's basically he's he's exposing the fact that the government is changing the definition of nutrition, and 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 some of the changes have to do with the environment of all things, not your individual health. But this is what we've got to do as a as a society, as a world. I mean, look, we've got a select group of humans like John Kerry and Al Gore. Who are there to save the world? And so these government-sponsored uh, programs, or initiatives, or studies—they're all done with this agenda in mind. The CDC, the NIH. This, uh, this, this is from. Uh, one of these studies that brought these new standards into play just last year. It says here, to address these gaps, uh, well, it's got to fit within government regulations and environmental regulations. And then this article says, to address these gaps, we developed the food compass, a comprehensive MPS incorporating an expanded uh, assessment of nutrient and ingredient characteristics additional food components and processing parameters in a uniform fashion across food categories to help guide healthy food choices, industry reformulations, environmental, social and corporate governance metrics and policy actions. And so they've come up with this, uh, I forget what it's called, but it basically gives different foods scores, scores, the higher, higher, the better. 100 is the highest, zero is the lowest. So you look at this list and some of the scores. I guess there's a sampling here. Again, they're there to promote uh, vegetables, tofu, grains, that sort of thing, but, but definitely not meat because we've got to save the world, right? We've got to save the environment. We've got to get rid of meat. We've got to get rid of cows, all those things. So right at the top, you've got, it starts off pretty good. You've got watermelon. That's a perfect score, 100. You've got kale. That's, uh, that's very healthy. That's 100. And then you start going down the list. Cinnamon Toast Crunch Cereal comes in with an 80. Now, what they're really recommending is that you should aim for 75 or above. And if it's something lower than 75, then you don't want to eat much of it, just sparingly. Or if you're really one of the righteous few, just do, do away with meat altogether. So there's one of your your favorite breakfast cereals. Following that, Reese's Puffs cereal, 72. A, A score of 72 for these junk cereals, Cocoa Puffs, 72. And then right down at the bottom, you've got egg fried in butter. That's 29. And then you've got ground beef, which is 26. Can you believe this? This was uh, this is your U.S. government coming out with the foods that they recommend. It's like the the junk foodaholic guy on steroids. They all think this way. They all they all promote bad diet and lots of drugs. It's just like I've said before in class here. It's it, a miniature picture of our world today. Is like going into Walgreens. You have, at the front of the store, all of the junk food, and then at the back of the store, all of the drugs. It's perfect. It's perfect. Do your shopping at the front of the store, and then come back and see us when you need all the drugs. That's Satan's system. No wonder our society is so unhealthy. Obviously unhealthy in more ways than one. You may have seen the story about this this hockey player I saw it the other day, and I thought, well, it's, surely it's a minor story, and it'll go away soon. It won't go away, because the league and all the sports commentators, you wonder sometimes if sports commentators are, are even more radically left-wing than just your ordinary journalists at CNN and MSNBC. The reaction, though, to this one player he was supposed to wear an LGBTQ jersey just for warm-ups. Just for warm-ups. And he said, uh, you know, I don't want to do it. He's from Russia. He's a Russian Orthodox. And he came out and said, you know, my religion, uh, I, I have strong beliefs and uh, I, just, I just don't want to do it. And you would think they would just leave him alone. Just one, one athlete that won't wear a, a jersey? Listen to this reaction. This unhinged reaction from one sports commentator in Canada, clip four. The theme from the National Hockey League is hockey is for everyone. Okay. the theme is not hockey is for everyone, dot, 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 unless you don't believe in gay rights, then do whatever you want, because there's not a lot of repercussions. And I'm seeing from any league now it could change with the NHL could change with the NHL. I think you find the Flyers a million dollars for this. I'm not kidding. Figure this out and stop offending people on nights where it's not about that. It's supposed to be about inclusivity. The National Hockey League need to attack this and figure this out. You're either in this or you're not. And one last point. Nothing scares me more than any human being who says, I'm not doing this because of my religious beliefs. All right? Don't don't, don't feed me the religious beliefs line. And all of a sudden, the NHL is going to back off this. The National Hockey League today needs to find that organization a million dollars and reevaluate how they support gay rights. Nothing scares that man more than someone that says, I, I personally am not going to do it because of my religious beliefs. That's what scares him more than anything else in this present evil world. You, in the minds of these people, you put on the patch, you wear the jersey, you do not dissent. You cannot disagree. You must support it. You must applaud it. And, of course, if it's anything biblical, of course you can. These same people would say, fine, don't stand for the anthem. Just take a knee. Do whatever you want. That's your individual right. Then the rainbow flag comes along, and now you must conform. makes you think of Romans 1. I went through some of these verses just the other day. A perfect description in the last few verses of our society. It says here, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, and Paul goes through the list. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. He's describing Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said it would be just as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah here in the last days. But then the last verse of Romans 1, it says, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do they uh, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. See, you've got to have pleasure in those that engage in Sodom and Gomorrah behavior or else find the organization a million dollars. Run this guy out of town. You know, Jason Whitlock made a good point, I thought, last night saying that You know, why does it take a Russian guy, a Russian Orthodox? What about some of the ones that have grown up in America? Where's their courage to stand against this onslaught, to stand up to the mob? Just one player. It's surprising there weren't more. Just one player? And then it triggers this kind of a a deranged, unhinged reaction? That's right. That's all that it takes these days. You may have seen the story of these two homosexual men who adopted two little boys and were molesting and sodomizing these two boys for a period of who knows how long. They're now being prosecuted, as they should be. Don't bring up those kinds of stories. Look, just put on the rainbow flag. Just put on the patch, the sticker. You've got to show support. There should be a lot more people standing up to this, this uh, this Sodom and Gomorrah avalanche. This morning at the uh, assembly, I was talking, or the forum, I was talking about just the importance of courage. Courage. My father makes this point in Malachi's message, saying that it's perhaps the most important virtue, because without courage, I mean, what good are some of the other virtues? We want all the virtues of God. We do want to set our minds on the things listed out in Philippians 4, 8 and elsewhere and do those things, but it's so important for us to be courageous and bold. I, I spent a fair bit of time a couple weeks ago just praising those 20 Republicans, only 20, in a house full of, what, what is it, 435 congressmen, but they made a stand. They took a principled stand. They demanded certain changes to the rules of the House, and they insisted on having this committee that would examine or or investigate the weaponization of government agencies, agencies weaponized by Barack Hussein Obama. And they fought for four and a half days, and they got so many concessions from Speaker McCarthy. They actually got rules changed that took away the power, the the dictatorial powers that Nancy Pelosi had as House Speaker. It's a change in the tide, to some degree, whether you look at the House, whether you look at the the PM in New Zealand, or whether you look at Joe Biden just kind of wandering around the stage in front of the Gospel Choir. It says in uh, Manchester's book on Winston Churchill... Being in many ways a coward, particularly at school, there's no, there's no ambition I cherish so keenly as to gain a reputation of personal courage. That's quoting Churchill. He wanted to gain the reputation of personal courage. <laughs> and I mean, when you see the way he reacted as a young man down in South Africa, following the train wreck and they came under fire, and he was leading in a way that the leaders weren't. And he was just a young kid, or at least a young man. He, it, this used to be important for people in our nations, whether in America or Britain or New Zealand or, or Australia. Courage! Courage under fire! As it is, look at what so many of these dictators are imposing upon our people. Don't go outside, stay in the basement, close up your business. Get your vaccine passport or else you're not going to be let into anything. And the sheep will, of course, just blindly go along. Well, more and more of them are protesting, at least a little bit more loudly than they did two years ago because they see what's happening to young people just collapsing on the court. And they want answers. But Borla, he can't be bothered. So he just walks to the next cocktail party in Davos Fauci, I'm sure, is doing much of the same. They only stay within their little echo chamber because they know. They know if they they venture outside of that and they have to actually answer hard questions, they're not going to be able to answer them. That's why they they want the control of the conversation. That's why they want the control of Twitter. That's why they want the control of Facebook. They don't want any kind of vaccine hesitancy. Even without the testing, look, we developed this. We, the experts. So just take it. Just get the jab. It's a world that's just really and truly off the rails with all of its fakery and phoniness and then just the outright communism. Communist infiltration, you know about he was right. Herbert Armstrong, the chapter we have in there about the infiltration, the communist infiltration of our nation and how it's prophesied if you call our operators, you can request your free copy, one eight six six nine three zero three zero two four. Manchester said this, apart from its political value, physical courage had an intrinsic value in his eyes, Churchill's eyes, and the lack of it was shameful. See, people used to be ashamed of, of not being courageous. It's not so much like that anymore, sadly. We're in, a, we're, we're in a, the age of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've, we've gotten soft. Deuteronomy 8 says, you know, beware once you get into the promised land, once you receive all of these tremendous blessings that you don't become satisfied, that you don't grow thick and fat. Beware. Beware of complacency. Beware the sin of, of lethargy, spiritual lethargy an attitude of, we don't need anything. That's the Laodicean mindset of Revelation 3. It really, I spoke to that history. I've talked a bit about it this week as we've come through the January 16th anniversary. But just how much courage it took in, uh, in 1989 and 1990, right when the PCG was starting and the Worldwide Church of God, of course, at that time, they were changing all the doctrines as fast as they could and doing it deceitfully, lying to the brethren, saying they weren't really making changes. And so to stand against this Laodicean movement with tens of thousands of people going along, I mean, it took some courage to stand up to that. And the Philadelphia Church of God started with 12 people. So you talk about David and Goliath. I mentioned that, in that example or analogy with respect to the lawsuit between 97 and 2003. But right at the start, with no money, With no, really, resources whatsoever? With no building or grounds? With no equipment? Just a little manuscript called Malachi's Message to God's Church Today. And inside that book, my father said, Hey, you know what's important right here, right now? Courage. Spiritual courage. You've got to stand up for what's right. You've got to stand up for the truth. If you have the truth, and everyone else doesn't, It can be easy to just surrender and to go along with the mob. Just one person doesn't want to put on the rainbow colors to celebrate the the LGBTQ community. Just one player, and good for him. There should be more, as I say, but good for him. He's standing against the onslaught, the mob. Notice the admonition, the counsel that God gave to Joshua Following the leadership of Moses, Joshua had a a great example out in front of him in Moses all those years, but yet Moses was leading a stubborn people, stubborn, stiff necked, disobedient, murmuring, complaining constantly. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1 and verse 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong, verse 6 says. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Be strong, be courageous, Joshua. I'll be with you. Don't worry. If you're standing alone with God, you're, you're in the majority, actually. You have all the strength and the power and the courage that you need. This is, again, this is not God's world. Keep that in mind. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. And remember Revelation nineteen, sorry 9 and verse 12. You've heard those verses on this show a lot. But God says the whole world is deceived. And it says when you come out, or rather into the church, you have to come out of this world and the things of this world. That's right at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians 6. I'll leave it to you to read that on your own time. But here, the the counsel that God gives to Joshua, he says, be strong, be courageous. The word for courage there, it means to be brave, bold, to be solid, to be hard. Can you take a a hard, principled stand for God? Uh, Is your spiritual foundation solid? Is it rock solid? Are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to die for it? That's the kind of commitment and faith and courage that God is looking for. Notice verse 7. It says again, "...only be you strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left." that you may prosper wherever you go. See, God really gives us courage and comfort. He gives us safety. He gives us boundaries. And if we stay within them, we can be strong. We can be strong. This is what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. God told the Israelites, look, if you obey these laws, you're going to be strong. And and the envy of the world, the nations around you are going to be envious of your strong position of your strong convictions, and of all the blessings that that brings into your lives and into your nation as a result. This is where our our true strength resides. It always gets back to a faithful obedience to God's laws. God's law we just went through. Well, we're in the midst of our Roman study in the Epistles of Paul class. And, And what a powerful example there in Romans 4 about Abraham And just his willingness to follow God. The faith, (laughs) the faith of Father Abraham to just obey God. God said, look, I want you to leave Babylon and go to an unknown land. And it just says, the biblical account just says that Abraham departed. It was the same when God told him to go off and sacrifice his son. The Bible says he got up early the next morning to do it to carry out, to follow the instructions that God had given him. That's the kind of faithful, if God says it, then it's good enough for me. That's the kind of faithful obedience that Abraham had. Faith mixed with works. And then you, you continue your study through Romans, and you see how God's law, Romans 7 and verse 12, says it's holy and just and good. It's perfect. And yet there's, there's quite a few Christians in this world, Christians in name only, that want to throw the the law of God out the window. They want to set it aside. They, They try to convince you that Jesus Christ obeyed the law for you, so you don't have to worry about obedience. I mean, just listen to that argument for a second. You don't have to worry about obedience to the law of God? It's God's law. Obedience to those laws of God would solve all the problems of this world that's true mr armstrong makes that statement in mystery of the ages i believe call our operators and request this this is the the book we fought for in court six years those laodicean ministers they tried to do away with this book they discontinued it less than three years after mr armstrong died and they had all their big announcements and big initiatives and big programs, just like the U.S. government today. Hey, we got a new five-year plan. Hey, we don't need Mystery of the Ages. we got another booklet over here called Who Was Jesus? Well, that was a big flopperoo, that book. Mystery of the Ages. This is the real deal right here. The 800 number, one 930 3024 All the plans and the, the initiatives of man. If we're not reasoning together with God, his law, his truth, it's just going to be a big flop. It's just going to be a big failure. Look at Joshua 23 and verse 6. Coming back to this point about courage. Stay focused now. Joshua 23 and verse 6. It says, Be you therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. See, B, it takes courage to obey God. Jesus noted this in Matthew 19 and verse 26. The disciples were marveling that this young man, who seemed so upright and so obedient, he rattled off the commandments. He said he had kept the commandments. And then Jesus said, well, give up everything that you have physically and come and follow me and you can be my disciple. He couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of the world. He he would not come out of the world and into God's family. And the disciples looked at that impressive looking man and then asked Jesus, well, who's going to make it if he can't make it? And Jesus' response was, with men it's impossible, but with God, with God, all things are possible. It takes the power of God to even obey his laws. It takes the power of God to walk by faith, because it's not your own faith, it's Christ in you. This is a great mystery. But Christ in you, as Paul said in Colossians 1, we'll stay here in Joshua notice Joshua 10 and verse 25 Joshua 10:25 it says and Joshua said to them fear not nor be dismayed be strong and of good courage for thus shall the eternal do all due to all your enemies against whom you fight here's Joshua encouraging the Israelites here's Joshua encouraging the army of Israel seems pretty simple doesn't it God encouraged Joshua with this admonition, be strong, be courageous, and then Joshua, being the good disciple and teacher that he was, he went to the people and he told the people, be strong, be courageous, stand firm, be solid, be on solid ground, and then fight. Fight for the promised land. Fight for the land of promise, what God has promised Prove to God that it's really important to you. And they had to do it. The first, the first 11 chapters of Joshua is just about fighting their way into the promised land. It wasn't just a matter of we'll cross the River Jordan and then everything's there. It's, all, it's just all delivered right on the spot. And you've got a life of idleness and ease. They had to fight for every square inch of the land of Canaan. Every square inch. What's the lesson there for us? Well, spiritually speaking, we've got to fight to get into the kingdom of God. We've got to fight for God's purpose and plan. We've got to fight for the work of God. We've got to fight for the truth. And that's going to take some courage. Notice chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And as the Eternal commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua. You see, just follow the leader in many ways. And so did Joshua. And he left nothing undone of all that the Eternal commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hills and all the south country and all the land of Goshen and the valley and the plain and the mountain of Israel and the valley of the same, even from the Mount Halak that goes up to Seir, even unto Baal Gad and the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon and all their kings he took and smote them and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. <laughs> they had to fight their way in, 6-7 years of battle, 6-7 years of war. But you look into the New Testament and Paul says, "Look, we're in a battle. Christianity is a fight." It's a good fight, though. It's a good war. It's satisfying. It it leads to peace and prosperity. But we're going to have to fight our way in. We're going to have to fight our way for every square inch of that land, so to speak. Verse 19, it says, There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All others they took in battle. See, they had to fight for every single city. They had to fight for every square inch, as I say verse 23 this is still i believe in Joshua 11 it says so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the eternal said to Moses and Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes and the land rested from war see when we finally reach that kingdom of God then we'll will experience that rest that spiritual rest that millennial rest, from war, from the things of this world. It's worth it, though, the fight, the warring that we have to go through to get there. This is from Malachi's message, as I was saying earlier. It took some courage for those early few to stand against the Laodicean delusion and to fight for the truth, to demonstrate their love for the truth. In Malachi's message, my father writes, it appears that the Joshua of Moses' time had one outstanding strength, spiritual courage. God was instructing him to use use this, this quality, showing him how much he would need it. It says, in the Laodicean churches, spiritual courage may be the greatest need. Without it, the other virtues are of little value. If you don't have the courage to fight for God and his truth, then then what good are some of the other virtues that says here God's people can't cower in fear and still grow in God's love? We can't cower in fear. We can't hold back, as as I was discussing, I believe, yesterday, Hebrews 10, that section about stepping forward and how that beautiful chapter, Hebrews 10, it leads right into... The faith chapter, Hebrews 11. We're not not of those that draw back, as Paul said. We step forward. We're like Abraham when told to leave Babylon. We just start moving. Okay, God said it. It takes courageous faith to just believe God, to just follow God in the former prophet's booklet. I'm not sure. Yeah, here it is. This one, I mean, I've gone through most of the verses here in the last part of the show, come from Jeremiah, sorry, Joshua. Um, and this is uh, discussed at length, that time period with Joshua's reign and, and taking over the land of Canaan. It's in this book, The Former Prophets, the 800 number, 1 930 3024. This is a quote I'll conclude with from The Former Prophets. It says, Put Joshua in charge. And he will cause good things to happen in Israel. God wants us to do that as well. Cause positive things to happen and cause successes in our lives and and, and the lives of those we, le- we lead. Be a righteous cause. Be a, a, a courageous warrior for God and good things will come from that. You're listening to Stephen Flurry and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us at td at thetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow.